Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. And I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about how to fight like a girl. It's Mother's Day, so we're going to talk about girl stuff. I believe that the strongest, most fear, that's how you fight like a girl. (laughs) I believe that the strongest, most fierce force on our planet is not the U.S. military. It's not some MMA fighter. It's not the Navy SEAL team. But I think the strongest, most fierce force is a Holy Ghost-filled, praying woman who's living a life of separation and submission because she has the full weight of the king of glory behind her. There will be times for, and I know this goes for men too, but I'm just talking to women today, okay? Y'all are welcome to listen because I'm going to tell you some stuff about these women that you're connected to and you're going to realize how blessed you are. Uh, There are going to be times in these women's lives when they face battles that all they have to do is stand still. And the Lord comes and fights the battle, and then she goes in and gets the spoil. That's power, y'all. That's power. Women are determined. You men ought to say amen to that. Sister Shelley and I have a long-running joke. When we want something done, we jump in and do it whether we know how to do it or not. We've done a lot of stuff. Uh, Women are territorial. You don't mess with a woman's family. You don't mess with a woman's kids. She'll turn into a mama bear on you. I'm the biggest bear among us. Husbands, when you look into the face of your wife, of your precious wife, you're looking at your greatest earthly treasure because these precious women are who you want in your corner. This is who you want praying for you. This is who you want to have your back. Why are we so powerful? Why are these women so powerful? Because they're women of God. And because the spirit of the living God resides in them. And they are a force to be reckoned with. The weakest among us, the smallest among us, is a force to be reckoned with. When they pray, hell shakes. When women speak the word of God over a situation, angels are dispatched. To carry out that assignment. These women give the devil grief every day of their life. They wreak damage to his kingdom. These women have been anointed to break generational curses. So that our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren are not going to have to fight battles that we had to fight. Or that our mothers had to fight. We have been anointed to break some curses that will bring freedom to our family. If you have a praying wife or a praying mother or a grandmother or a mother in Zion, you should throw up your hands and thank God for a praying woman for that precious gift. Can we thank the Lord for our, our mothers? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Before we... 
we're going to fight battles. That's not a, there's not a question about that. The Lord says you're going to have trouble in this world. There's going to be battles that we fight, some of our own making, but uh, some just because of the world that we live in. But before we engage in a battle, it's important to know what it is that we're fighting. Otherwise, we're just out there fighting. We need to have a target. We need to know. We need to know what the battle is. We need to know the nature of the battle. Because the nature of the battle determines the strategy of the weapon. I don't go into battle without no. I shouldn't go into battle without knowing what kind of weapon I need to fight this battle. I need to identify the battle so I can use the appropriate weapon. Now, some battles are natural. They're carnal. Some battles are spiritual. And we fight those battles differently. A natural battle can be fought through discipline or time management or setting boundaries or having a hard conversation. We can fight hard uh, natural battles. But a spiritual battle cannot be fought and won with natural weapons. Ephesians 6 and 12 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is an unseen world that surrounds us every day, but our weapons are mighty. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural weapons. They're spiritual weapons. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So spiritual battles require spiritual weapons. A lot of times we want God to fix something that's within our power to to fix. And so we can declare, we can decree, we can command, we can do whatever we want. But God probably isn't going to make our excess weight fall off. He's probably not going to shower money from heaven to pay our bills. And he probably isn't going to make our, ch- our child do his homework. Those are natural things. So what do we do? We eat healthy. We set a budget. We draw boundaries with our children. Those are natural things that we can fix. Those are natural battles. But spiritual battles require spiritual weapons. So we have to determine, first of all, is this battle that I'm fighting, is this natural or is this spiritual? Then the next thing we do is we go to God in prayer and we ask him, do I engage in this battle? Is this a battle for me to fight? The thing is that as women, we're fixers. And so we feel like if we don't know the answer, we can find the answer. If we don't know how to do it, we can figure out how to do it. We're fixers. We want to, we want to help. And so a lot of times the danger is we get involved in battles that we don't have any business getting involved in. Mamas, you aren't entrusted with this entire nation. You were entrusted with your household. You were entrusted with your husband, with your children. So we need to focus on what is in front of us. There's great work to do within the walls of our own house. And we can't afford to let the state of our nation, the state of our world distract us and take us away from this most important battle that's in front of us. So we ask God, do I engage? Do I fight? In 1 Samuel 30, uh, David and his men were fighting a battle. And while they were gone away from their camp, the Amalekites invaded their territory. And they burned their camp down and captured their wives and children and took them away. And as you can imagine, David's men were upset with him. And uh, David's response has always been a bit puzzling to me. I mean, the enemy had destroyed his camp, destroyed all their belongings... And kidnapped their wives and children. 
Of course you go after them. Why are you waiting? We look around today at our world and we see so many places to be involved. Of course I should march for this. Of course I should argue for that. Of course I should set somebody straight about that. Of course I should tell my opinion about this. Of course I should stand up for this or against this. But David sent for the ephod and he inquired of the Lord and he said, should I pursue? Should I pursue? And God's, should I pursue after this troop? And God's response was, pursue and thou shalt surely recover, overtake them, and without fail, recover all. What David realized is even though the cause may be just, if the Lord doesn't go with me, I'm not going to prevail. Even if it's a just cause. So the cause may be noble, but that doesn't mean we get involved. Because one thing I've learned about the devil is if he can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. He'll make you busy about everything. Involved in good causes, but causes that you weren't meant to spend your time and energy on. In this current climate, there's a battle you could fight every day. You could probably have your pick of them. There's probably a protest or a march you could join. And the causes are good and just. But if we join every fight, again... We're going to be neglecting our primary duties. And so we ask God, is this battle for me to fight? Is this this what it is for me to fight? Let's quit going into battles where there aren't any spoils. Let's quit wasting our time getting involved in every argument on Facebook. Let's quit wasting our time telling everybody like it is and setting everybody straight. Let's quit spending our time and energy expressing our opinions on every matter. We're not obligated to participate in every conflict or argument that we're invited to. Because when we choose our battles, when we identify what the battle is, and then when we ask God, we inquire of him, and we choose which battles to fight, two things are going to happen. One thing is we're going to fight fewer battles. And the other thing is we're going to fight the right battles with amazing strength, and we will be victorious. I want to fight those battles. I'm going to fight those battles. Then the next question we ask God is, which weapon do I use? How do I fight? How do I fight? Do I advance? Do I stand still? Give me direction. The Old Testament is full of battles that the children of Israel fought, and their strategies were so varied. uh, They didn't always fight this battle the way they fought the previous one. I've written down a few. The Amalekites, Israel went against the Amalekites and God told them as long as Moses' hands, y'all remember that story? As long as his hands are raised, you're going to have the victory. He got tired when his hands went down. What happened? They started losing the battle. And so the men came and set him on a rock and propped his arms up and they had victory. Then they fought at Jericho. God didn't tell Joshua, sit down and raise your arms. He said, walk around the the city and shout. Joshua raising his arms probably wouldn't have brought victory. That wasn't the battle plan. God gave them the battle plan. We have to know what to do. Joshua 11, the Lord just handed the enemy over to Israel, and they had victory. The the Canaanites and the Perizzites, different times Israel went against them, and the Lord handed them over. Israel didn't have to fight. There are times that we stand still and the Lord fights our battles for us. At Ai, the Israelites had sin in their camp, so they repented and God brought victory. For the Midianites, when Gideon led the charge against the Midianites, what did they do? They broke a pitcher. They shone a light. 
They blew a trumpet and God brought such varied ways. David had a stone and a sling against Goliath. The Philistines, uh, when they were facing them, God told David, wait till you hear the going in the tops of the mulberry trees. The weapons are varied. The methods are varied. What you used in the last battle that you fought may not be what you used for this battle. So we ask God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? God will give you the battle plan. And sometimes he gives you specific instructions that sound foolish. You ever been there? You prayed about something and felt God tell you to do what to do. Felt him leading you and you thought, (laughs) surely I misunderstood. That can't be right. Battle strategies don't always make sense. Marching around Jericho with your mouth closed, that doesn't make sense to me. That couldn't have made sense to a military leader of Joshua's caliber. But he did it because that's what God said to do. And they had victory. I love a song that we sing, This is How I Fight My Battles. That song is about communion. Communion is a way that we fight our battles. Communion is a way that we get healing. Joshua knew if they were going to take the city of Jericho and that they were going to be victorious because God had led him to do it. But God hadn't given him the battle plan yet. This is before God had told him to go in and take it, but he hadn't told him how to yet. So what did Joshua do? He didn't remain idle. He was a military man, so he did what he knew to do. He sent spies in to get information. When we're in a spiritual warfare, when we're fighting a spiritual battle, there are things that we already know to do while we wait on God to give us specific instructions. We don't stand by silently wringing our hands. We don't worry and fret. We don't, uh, we don't post about our trials and tribulations. We don't talk to everybody that will listen about how bad we've got it. We do what we know to do, and then we wait for the Lord to order our steps. So this is just basic stuff. I'm just reminding you of what we do, but we fight like girls, and we, we are victorious. The first thing we do when it's spiritual warfare, the first thing we do is we pray. We go to prayer because fervent prayer has unshakable power. When women begin to pray, heaven is on alert. And so we pray. We begin praying from the innermost circle of our influence. That's for ourselves. I begin by praying, Lord, forgive me for anything. I repent before the Lord. Cleanse me. Make me what I need to be. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Lord, let the scales fall from my eyes if I've got blind spots. I start with myself. Then I begin to pray for my family. I pray for my children. I pray for my husband. I pray for our church. I pray for our leadership, our town, our nation. I pray because First Peter says, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. So I pray. I need strength for the day. I pray. I need grace for the moment. I pray. I pray. The second thing we do is fast. There are some battles that can only be won by coupling prayer and fasting together. Mark gives an account of a uh, father who brought his son for healing. And Jesus healed him when the disciples could not. And later the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast this, this devil out? Jesus replied, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. There is a spiritual realm that it takes prayer plus fasting to conquer. Not prayer alone, 
prayer and fasting because fasting breaks the yoke off of your life. And so we ask God, we do these things while we're, while we're bombarding heaven. Lord, I need direction. Lord, I need to know what to do. I know to pray. I know to fast. I know to worship. That's another valuable lesson my mother taught me was that you can worship your way through anything. You can worship your Some of my most fervent worship has been during my times of my greatest desperation. I don't know what else to do, Lord. I'm just going to worship you. I'm just going to worship you. I'm just going to stand here and worship until you come and deliver me. I'm going to stand here and worship until you come and tell me what to do. Because worship unlocks that high place. Worship unlocks a place that fear can't touch. When we get into the presence of God, fear is not there. When we get into the presence of God, anxiety is not there. When we get into the presence of God, God can heal us from some things because fear can no longer attach itself to us. So we, we learn the art of practicing faithful worship. I worship when I don't feel like it. I worship when I do feel like it. I worship when that's my favorite song, and I worship when it's not. I worship when the praise team's on, and I, they're never off, So, I'm, I, but I still would worship. I worship when I feel God, and I worship when I can't feel him. I worship when I'm sick. I worship when I'm battle-weary. We worship. We worship in the altar. We worship in the car. We worship in the shower. We worship in our house. We worship on our job. Have you ever been in the middle of your day, and your kids are acting the fool? to make you lose your ever-loving mind have you ever been surrounded by dirty dishes and piles of laundry and you're like oh my word I'm living in the middle of chaos I'm cooking I'm cleaning I'm running errands I'm trying to help my third grader with his math I'm trying to get all of this stuff done and in that moment in that time it can be easy to forget why we're doing what we're doing as mothers, we can get so focused on the here and now that we forget him and eternity. We can forget that these souls that are in my house are, they're immortal. They're going to live. They're eternal. They're eternal souls. That's the word. They're eternal. And the answer to that is worship. I challenge you, if you ever, maybe y'all don't have dirty houses and maybe y'all don't have dirty uh, kitchens or laundry, but I challenge you, and maybe your kids never lose their mind, but if that would ever happen, I challenge you the next time to stand right in the middle and start singing and start worshiping. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and feel the atmosphere in the middle of the laundry in the middle of the dirty dishes, in the middle of the fighting kids, in the middle of the muddy floors, the Lord is not afraid of any of that. And he inhabits the praises of his people. I dare you to do it. Throw your arms up. Your kid's going to look at you like you lost your ever-loving mind. That's all right. Throw your arms up and sing and start worshiping. Put on some worship music and grab your kids, even your teens. Drag them out of the room and say, we're going to worship. This is what we're going to do. I taught my kids the elbow dance. I'm a really good dancer. Um, we worship. We worship in our home. God is not afraid of our mitts, our mess. He doesn't only inhabit our praise at church. He inhabits our praise in the middle of our mess. So at church, though, when we are here, you mamas of young ones, I love our babies. I love that we're a generational church. But you mamas of young babies and toddlers, when you make your way down the aisle for the umpteenth time, Taking your kid out again for the umpteenth time, remind yourself it's worship. It's worship. When you struggle to get everybody dressed 
and in the car and to church on time, remind yourself this is worship. When you carry them through the church doors, it's worship. When you rock them to sleep on the pew, that's worship. When you dance with them in the altar, that's worship. When you pack their diaper bag with sippy cups and snacks and toys and everything you can think of to keep them occupied in church, that's worship. That's worship. You're raising a generation of worshipers. You're teaching them by example to worship right where they are. And you know what the scripture promises? When they're old, they won't depart from it. Worship. So we pray. We fast. We worship. And the last thing I'm going to give you is the Word of God. The Word of God is another powerful weapon. It's proven itself time and time again. Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So we don't just read the Word of God. We receive it. It's like iron to our blood. It's like calcium to our bones. He exhales. The, the word is the exhalation. It's the, the living word. It's the living breath of God Almighty. So he exhales and we inhale and we take it into our, ourselves because we can stand on the word of God. Now, again, these aren't new strategies. These aren't new weapons, but they are proven weapons and they will win the battle. I encourage you mamas that have kids at home to involve them. Teach them these strategies. Don't wait until there's a problem before you teach them how to pray. Don't wait until they're teens before you teach them to fast. Don't wait until they're old enough to actually read for themselves before you start reading the Bible to them. Teach them. Involve them. I love seeing our kids worshiping in the altar. That's beautiful. You're teaching them the art of worship. Instill a love for the Word of God in their hearts. Um, in one of our ladies' Bible studies, Sister Jessie shared, we have uh, Bible studies where we have homework, and uh, we study each day and have a lesson to do. And she shared that she would set her alarm and get up before her kids did so she could get her, I don't know if she remembers telling this or not, but she would set up her alarm and get up before her kids did so she could get her work done in quiet uh, before they got up. And then one day she decided to do part of it, and leave part of it until all the kids got up and got to the breakfast table. And then she finished her study in front of them at the breakfast table. Mama, what are you doing? I'm reading the Word of God. Mama, what are you studying? What are you doing? What's that mean? What's this mean? It brings questions. What, are you, what was she doing? She was instilling a love for the Word of God in her children. Amen. You grandmothers and you single women and you aunts and you mothers in Zion, help these precious mamas. Yes of young children and of teens, reaffirm what they're teaching at home. They need, you, they need your support. Come and pray with a child. Discuss a scripture with a teen. Let them see you worshiping and encourage them to do it the same. I think it would be awesome when they're worshiping if you just slip up beside and put your arm around them and worship with them. Take their hand and say, will you worship with me? I think that would be awesome. If you share the basic message of the gospel. Jesus, we were born into sin. Amen. Jesus loved us, came and took our place on the cross, died and resurrected, and he did that to take our sin so now we can be saved. And we do that through repentance, baptism, and then we receive in the name of Jesus, and then we receive the Holy Ghost. That took less than 30 seconds to tell that. If we would share the basic message of the gospel with our child just one time a week, 
if one time a week we took 10 minutes in the car at the dinner table somewhere and shared the gospel message with them, by the time they are five years old, they would have heard the good news of Jesus 260 times from you. That's not the preaching. That's not what they get from other people. That's not what they get at church. That's from you by the time they're five. That's 260 times for the gospel message to spark repentance and authentic belief in Jesus. That's 260 times that you slowed down enough to share the biggest message that matters eternally. And that's only sharing once a week. What if we did it every day? What if, what if we brought them to church every time the doors are open? What if we instill in them a love for the word of God? What if we instilled in them a respect for the man of God? What if we put them in the nursery and the kids connection and youth class and let them know how important those classes were? Can you imagine what foundational truths we can instill deep in the hearts of our children? Sometimes it doesn't seem like these little efforts really add up. Here and there, reading the Bible to them, because especially when they're small and you've got a 30-second attention span. But each effort matters because faith comes by hearing the word of God. Amen. If your children are grown and they're no longer at home, get creative. Ask them how you can pray with them. Your adult children. Do a Bible study together. Right. Discuss a scripture. Send them a scripture and say, what do you think about this? Send them a link to a worship song. Mamas, your grown children need to know that you still pray for them. They need to know that you still do battle on their behalf. Uh, Whitney was, and Timothy came for, I believe it was for Christmas, and I had redone. Um, I've got some spare rooms now, y'all, that I've got an empty nest. Uh, but I had redone one of the rooms into an office to do some work, and I had bought a, and I told her about it, but uh, I had bought a chair to go in there. And uh, I didn't take her in there to show her or anything. They were just home for Christmas. And she came in one day and told me, said, I know where you pray for me now. Because that's my prayer place. And she could tell. Charles Spurgeon said, you are as much serving God in looking after your own children, training them up in God's fear, minding the house, and making your household a church for God, as you would be if you had been called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. This is a high and holy work. A high and holy work. Our job is not to save our children. That's God's job. Our job is to teach them about Jesus. We need to put as much kindling around them. And we do that by telling how good God is and what he's done for us. And putting them in the lives of men and women of God and of faith. We put as much kindling around their heart as we can. So when they get in the presence of the God, when the Holy Spirit comes, they're, they're ready to be ignited. That's our job. That's our job. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end their writings with the word, Amen. So be it. Amen was said at the conclusion of the writing to show an agreement or confirmation of all that came before it. So the gospel writers wrote down what they had seen and heard. Then they looked back and read it, said amen. That's what happened. Amen. Paul ends his letters to the Romans, the Corinthians, the churches at Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica with the word amen. Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation all end with the word, amen. 
But the book of Acts, the story of the church, has no such ending. It is an awesome Bible, or an awesome book of the Bible, and it tells a great and exciting story of the birth of the church and the beginning of the church and this new church. And then listen how it ends, Acts 28. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Then what? What happened next? We're the continuation. We're what happened next. <laughs> the church never died. It just wasn't always written down. And I believe should the, church, the story of the church be published today, I know our ladies would be included in it. I think we would read of the persistent faith of Teresa Brewer. I think we would read of the compassion Hannah Starr had for hurting children and what she did about it. I think we would read of the complete faith in the word of God and the consequent healing of Peggy Brewer. I think we would read of the staunch faith of Dorothy McCory that she passed to Pat Yeary that I see in Amanda Love. I think we would read of the passion for the word of God of Katie Hirsch and Maria Dean. I think we would hear, we would read of the sacrifice of family of Laquita Peterson. I think we would read of the passion of her true worship of Carrie Brewer. We have got some awesome women among us. These, these ladies, our MPC ladies, know how to do battle. Yes, they do. We know how to fight. Sometimes the devil comes and tells us, whispers in our ear, that what we do is meaningless right. and that we don't matter. Right. We may feel that our efforts are feeble. All I'm doing is raising kids. That is not all you're doing. You're raising souls. But we may feel that our efforts are feeble or of none effect. Am I having any impact on this world? After all, who am I? I live in a small town in southern Indiana, and nobody knows my name. Has the devil ever whispered some of that in your ear? But we need to remember God hides kings in sheepfolds. He hides apostles in fish camps and saviors in carpenter shops. So never think that what you're doing is too little. Never think that you have too little to offer because God takes what's too little and feeds a multitude with it. So keep loving, keep reaching, keep praying. We fight on, we encourage each other, we serve, we work, we pray, we change diapers, and we change the world because we're women and we know how to fight. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus... Our enemies are defeated, so we shout it out, and we fight. We fight. Happy Mother's Day to you beautiful, fierce warriors. There's nobody I'd rather go in battle with than you. I know you've got my back, and I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for listening to the MPC Podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.